exhorting us. So at this time, we will turn the program over to Brother Joel. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Not loud enough? Up higher? Higher? Alright? Alright. Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's a pleasure for uh, us to be here this weekend to spend time with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. Katie and I appreciate the hospitality and the work that has been done that is done to put a weekend such as this on. Uh, we appreciate also the work that was done to get this Bible school grounds back in order after the storm back in June. When we heard of the news we felt for y'all, knowing that the amount of work that was ahead of you to get this place again back in order, we appreciate that. Nevertheless, we are here once again in Martinville hopefully doing what has been done for over 100 years. That is, promoting the truth as delivered by the apostles and standing firm in our beliefs. This is what we will be speaking about this evening. As Brother Tommy has asked me to speak on a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. I believe this subject is very pertinent uh, as we live in the last times. Is very pertinent to our day today as we wait for the coming of the Lord. Uh, there will be a, uh, quite a few verses this evening that we'll look up and I ask you all to turn to these with me. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. Remove not the ancient landmark with that which thy fathers have set. It's a small verse, but I believe it has a lot of meaning to it. First, we'll look at this commandment as it pertains to the law. Under the law, to remove a landmark or a boundary or a bound was a sin. A motive for such a sin was or had to be personal gain. Really, that's the only motive you could have for a sin such as this where additional land equals additional wealth. And that's true even today. Over time, there's been many disputes about land. Uh, you, might have, you might know some uh, that you've dealt with, maybe. I uh, know some neighbor that has had a dispute about land. Uh, I personally, I didn't deal with one myself, but I'm building a house on uh, Seneca Lake right now. And as you know, Lake Frontage is the most... Uh, expensive land that you can buy. I was talking to the homeowner that I was built that I'm building this house for before I started the job, and he was telling me approximately how much land he had on the lake, and every foot equals a certain amount of dollars that you own or that you're worth. 
So we, we got to talking about it for a little bit, and he told me he had approximately 250 lineal feet of lake frontage, um, and he had it surveyed out. And uh, a little while after he had it surveyed, the neighbor or someone had moved his pin, his survey pin, over a little bit, making his land smaller. So when he saw that, what did he do? He took the pin out and he moved it back. And then he adds to me that not only did he move it back, but he moves it further onto his neighbor's land, therefore getting him more land Again, which equals more wealth. Uh, we see in the in the law that Israel was dealt with very straightforwardly by God on this matter. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. And also if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 17. These were the curses given uh, at Mount Evil. Deuteronomy 27:17 says, Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. One more verse on that subject in Hosea chapter 5, verse 10. Hosea the fifth chapter, verse 10. <clears throat> Hosea 5.10 The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound, or the boundary. Therefore, I'll pour out my wrath upon them like water. Here in Hosea, the sins of the princes of Judah were equated to someone that had moved a boundary line, boundary of their inheritance. We also recall the account in 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 3, the account of Naboth's vineyard. First Kings 21, we'll start with 1 through 3. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee better, give thee for a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my father unto thee. Ahab, the king of Israel, should have known this law. Number one, that Naboth couldn't give up his land. Number two, Naboth, uh, to me it sounds like a pretty decent deal. I would give thee something better for what you have, or I'll give you the worth of it in money. That would sound like a, a decent deal. But Naboth could not do this because of what the, uh, of what the Lord forbid it, 
He forbid it to me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. The commandment of the Lord reigned in Naboth's mind. Uh, we again remember the account. Uh, Jezebel has Naboth stoned. If you jump down to verse 15. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead. that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, He is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and I will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and, is, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. We see the vengeance of Yahweh upon Ahab and Jezebel. We turn back to the, to the Proverbs, the next chapter over from Proverbs 22. In Proverbs 23, we have the same phrase given as in chapter 22. We read chapter 22, verse 28. Let's read Proverbs 23, verses 10 and 11. Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty, he shall plead their cause with thee. God will plead the cause of those who have had their inheritance taken away unjustly. My object tonight is not to exhort you to not move your survey pins that you might have on your land, uh, though I wouldn't recommend it because I think there's some serious laws against that. But I'd like to look at this inheritance and the boundaries thereof figuratively. God has set forth that we might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. I'd like to look at a few passages about this. Look at Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Wherefore, the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the boundary, and then we have the inheritance. Turn over to Revelation, the second chapter, verse 7. Revelation 2, verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the ecclesias. To him that overcometh, 
will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We have the tree of life, the inheritance, and we have the overcoming, the, the listening to God's Word, the understanding of God's Word, and the application of God's Word as the boundaries thereof. One more in Luke chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Luke 12, 31 and 32. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Again, same thing. The boundary and the inheritance. And in these verses, God tells us that he's not only offered salvation to us, but it's his good pleasure to give it to us. Again, as we said, each of these verses presents the inheritance and the boundary or the landmark thereof. The inheritance is not given unless the landmark or the boundary is kept. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Romans 6, 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Grace will not abound if we continue in sin. Our fathers and their forefathers have set the boundary for us. Yahweh has showed our ancestors the landmarks that we are to keep in place until he sends his son to this earth. The scripture is very clear that in the last days, morality will be at an all-time low, which I would say is one of the landmarks that needs to be kept. The way we conduct ourselves in this world. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 and 38. Verses 37 and 38. And very well known verses to us. As we know that we are living in these last days. Matthew 24, 37 and 38. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Whereas in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, until that day that Noah entered into the ark. And we know what, what happened. We don't have to look too far to find out what the morality, the state of the morality of this world is in. Uh, I'd say 90% or 95% of the people in here use the internet. As soon as you get on the internet, it's, you're bombarded by what the world is doing. And 99% of what you're bombarded with is that the world is doing bad. Who murdered who? Uh, who stole this from who? Who embezzled this money from who? All these things are negative. They're all bad. These are all things that are exactly what is talked about in Matthew 24. The newspapers, the TVs, they're all filled with these things. 
that's one aspect of what we keep as far as the boundaries. The other aspect is that the scripture is very clear that in the fact in the fact that the truth will come under fire in the last days. And this has been something that has been dealt with throughout time. This is why Jude writes his epistle. Turn with me to Jude, verses 3 and 4. The intent of Jude was to write an epistle about the salvation, about the reward, as he says in Jude. But he changes his course and writes an epistle about keeping the truth, contending for the truth. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he begins, he wants to write about this common salvation that we share. And he changes his course and says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we continue in this epistle and read all about this. Christ asked an important question in Luke chapter 18 that we should all take to heart. This is a question that I think should prick all of our consciences. Luke chapter 18, verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And this is something we should all think about very, very much, very strongly. Shall he find faith on the earth? And I believe this means shall he find faith even among the believers. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the truth. There's no doubt about that. And we have to be convicted in that. And this truth we call religion. Though there are many, many religions out there, there can only be one true religion. I'd like to read a little uh, paragraph that Brother J.J. Andrew wrote in the book, The Real Christ, about religion. Uh, For reference, it's on page 91. He says, The Almighty, being the one who had been disobeyed, He only possessed the prerogative of prescribing the conditions on which he would forgive sin. Listen carefully. I know it's a little hard to uh, listen to quotes. I'm going to read that again. The Almighty being the one who had been disobeyed, he only possessed the prerogative of prescribing the conditions on which he would forgive sin and remove its consequences. Those conditions constitute the means by which the breach created by sin between man and his maker can be healed. Process which is commonly called religion. The healing of the breach. The rebinding of something which has been severed. Previous to the fall, when there existed no breach, 
Such a thing as religion was neither known nor needed. Religion began when God made known to man the ways by which sin might be destroyed and as a consequence abolished. End of quote. There is only one way prescribed that we can have this breach severed, or, or this breach healed that was severed by man. There is only one truth. There is only one correct religion. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And this exact thing is stated here by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And we must be absolutely convicted in this fact, that we, what we have as truth, is the one truth. It is the one faith. If you read further on in Ephesians 4, verses 13 through 18, this shows our conviction, or should show our conviction. Ephesians 4, 13 to 18. Till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The stature of the fullness of Christ. Two things. One is the true, the truth, religion, the correct interpretation of what Christ delivered to the apostles. And two is the way that Christ conducted his life. The stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the one of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We must uphold these landmarks that our fathers have set, both in word and in spirit. The term your fathers in Proverbs 22 means those that were before us, our spiritual fathers. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Peter states that he wants to stir our minds by remembrance to be mindful of what our fathers have spoken to us. And he defines fathers here 
by the holy prophets and the apostles. We could easily go back further from the prophet, the time of the prophets, to the patriarchs of old who received the promises that were made to them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. We can go forward from the apostles' time to the time of the saints when the Holy Roman Empire was alive and well, who were worn out by the little horn that spoke great things, as is stated in Daniel. And we can go forward from that time to our pioneer brethren, who we have access to through many great works written for us, that we should glean knowledge of the one truth from. And further ahead, I believe, in time, from our pioneer times to our own lifetimes, to our own fathers and our own ecclesias, our elders who have kept the ancient landmarks in place for us. I'd like for you to recall in your own lives things that you've discussed with elders, maybe in your own meeting, in your own family. We can all recall talks by our elders, conversations we've had with them about the gospel truths. These brethren have upheld the truth for many years. On this point, I'd like to get maybe a little personal with the Arkansas brethren. Uh, I personally, and I know there's many people that do, have an interest in reading old advocates. Uh, In our ecclesia, we have a a bookcase with uh, quite a few of them from the turn of the century. Uh, And I I like to take out a year at a time and just see what uh, the brethren in the past were doing, uh, what they were dealing with, and what they were teaching. Uh, I ran across a September 1905 advocate, and in it is an account in the intelligence of the fraternal gathering held in Martinville, Arkansas, August 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, 1905. I'd like to read a few things from it to you. The fraternal gathering held at Martinville, Arkansas, August 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th, 1905. This gathering was a success. The attendance was good and harmony prevailed. Brethren and friends came in vehicles from a radius of about 45 miles, while a number came from afar, 100 to 700 miles from Illinois, Missouri, Texas, and Indian Territory, as well as from the more remote parts of Arkansas. Brother Thomas Williams of Chicago had been invited to be present, and he delivered the principal addresses at each of the 11 and 8 o'clock meetings. While Brother Tease, Dunaway, Edwards, Bean, Burnett, Martin, and this Brother Dodson, who in parentheses says he was blind for 31 years, uh, and others spoke at various times during the meeting. Uh, just on this point, meeting, uh, my wife was talking to Sister uh, Susan, Suzanne, sorry, Suzanne Slavens, and she called this gathering this weekend the meeting, the meeting in Arkansas, and it, I, I found that interesting that uh, over a hundred years ago, they called this gathering the meeting, and she called it the same thing. 
the, throughout the whole meeting, the several speakers dwelt much on and emphasized holy living and brotherly love, exhorting to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for and hasting unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will re- reward according to our works. Brother Williams planned his discourses to edify and confirm the brethren, stirring up their pure minds by way of remembrance. The subjects he presented were the things of the kingdom and the constitution of man, man and his relationship, man and his relation to the law of sin and death, and life and immortality, promises made to the fathers fulfilled only in Christ, closing with a discourse on the signs of the times, the second coming of Christ, and the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. On Saturday afternoon, and again on Sunday afternoon, we repaired to the waters of Cove Creek and assisted six candidates for eternal life who had made a good confession to put on the sin-covering name in the appointed way. By an almost unanimous vote, it was decided, God willing, to hold the next fraternal gathering at the same place, namely Martinville, Arkansas, commencing Thursday evening before the first Sunday in August 1906. Over a hundred years ago, the brethren were discussing the same exact things that we are discussing now. The same things we'll be discussing this weekend. And there's no need to change this. We must not change this. And here's the little more personal part. At the end of the article, or this intelligence article, there is a list of those who were enrolled for the weekend. Uh, and as I read this list of names to myself, even I, being from the north, heard many of these names. And maybe it's because of my relation now that I'm married to my, to my in-laws. But there were many names in here that I recognized myself. And I imagine that many of the brothers and sisters here will recognize many more names than, than I did. I'll just read a few to you. The enrollment is as follows. From Atkins, Arkansas, Brother E. H. Miller. From B. Branch, Arkansas, Brother Brother McDaniel, Brother Jones. From Bradford, Arkansas, Whitlow. From Center Ridge, Brother and Sister Bean. From Cato, Arkansas, Sister Molly Dawson. Choctaw, Arkansas, Huey, Treadway, Conway, Arkansas, Tees, and Munn. Clinton, Arkansas, Huey, Rogers, Jennings, Huey again, uh, from Glen, Grand Glass, Sanders, Little Rock, Morrison, from Martinville, Arkansas, brother and sister, J.D. Martin, from Moralton, Arkansas, uh, brother Scroggin, Dunaway, Jennings, from Weldon, Arkansas, brother and sister Stevens. Again, there's many names that I've read over, but I imagine that there's many brethren sitting here tonight that heard these names, that recognized them. Maybe they were even kin to some of you. As these believers have done, and again, 
Some of you are witness to that. They have passed this truth, these landmarks, down to their progeny. And this is something that we must also do. Pass the truth to our progeny, whether it's spiritual or natural. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. If anybody wants to look at that advocate, I'll have it up here or I'll have it on me if you would like to look at it. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 and 2. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I have commanded thee. Thou and thy son and thy son's sons all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. Down to verse 6 through 9. And these words which I command thee this day, these landmarks which I have set, shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Thou shalt keep them in the forefront of thy minds. That's what he's saying here. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are an heritage of the Lord. We must continue in this endeavor of teaching our young, teaching our progenies to keep our ecclesia strong. Where we live up in the Finger Lakes, again, if you read any of the old advocates or um, I think in, uh, in the life and works of Thomas Williams in the beginning, in the life part, uh, he has a description of a lot of his tours. And he stopped through this Finger Lakes area that we live in now, in, in Rochester mainly. But if you look in the intelligence in the, in the advocate, or it has on the back sometimes Christadelphian meeting places, uh, in the Finger Lakes area, there were many, many ecclesias. Uh, the Elmira Ecclesia, Seneca Falls, Auburn, uh, Rochester had a couple. Um, Geneva, there was, there was probably five, six, or seven ecclesias within an hour of each other in the Finger Lakes, Ecclesi- in the Finger Lakes area. Uh, and, and Rochester was around even uh, for my remembrance. But now Rochester is also closed. And the question is, why are these ecclesias gone? There's only one in the Finger Lakes area now. It's the one we go to. Where are the other ecclesias? What happened to them? They died because they got old. There was no one to replace the young or the old. And when the old people died, the ecclesia was, was closed up. That's exactly what happened to the Rochester meeting. Uh, Brother Court, that was here during the Bible school this past year in 2009, he was, he's one of the last members that came from that ecclesia in Rochester, his family. Uh, now they come to our ecclesia because they're closed up. No one's left. They, they, they're young. They didn't keep around. Uh, and this is, a, this is a very important thing that we need to focus on is to keep our young 
to teach them the ways uh, at all times, as Deuteronomy says to us, or as the law says to us in Deuteronomy. Turn to Second Peter again, chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three, verses nine through fourteen. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Salvation, the inheritance, the hope of this future possession. God has revealed the way for us. Why would we want to change what he has instructed us in? If we had a map to a buried treasure with absolute perfect directions, there was only one route to follow, only one path led to this treasure, would we veer off the the course provided? Absolutely not. We'd stay right on that course. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 13. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 16. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, and let us mind the same thing. Paul states that we must walk by the same rule, keep in the same boundaries toward the mark, toward the inheritance. Yahweh brought the Israelites through their probationary period to the promised land. When they obeyed, they prospered, as was prophesied. When they disobeyed, they were afflicted. They were given their inheritance, and they were to keep it and the boundaries thereof in place. This inheritance and our love towards God should drive us to keep his bounds. I would like to look at some passages this evening about the inheritance for us to consider. And these are just a few aspects of what the kingdom will be like. 
Turn with me to the 44th chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 44, verses 2 through 4. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, and it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord... The God of Israel hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince. The prince shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Then brought he me the the, the way of the north gate before the house. And I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. The glory of the Lord will return to this earth, and Christ will rule from Mount Zion. Justice will be brought to this earth. Turn to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Isaiah 2, 2 to 5. And the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And also in the 51st chapter of Isaiah, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 51, 1 through 3. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Look unto your fathers, Isaiah says. God will make the earth like the garden of Eden. You know, there are some places in this earth that uh, we have to ask the question, how could this place that we are in right now be more beautiful than it is? Well, look at Ezekiel chapter 47. Even the most beautiful places that we can visit on this earth have something that's dead there. Uh, In the middle of summer, there's some weed or some branch that's dead. Look at Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 6 through 9 and verse 12. 
And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the brink of the river were very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said unto me, These waters issue out of out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth which moveth Whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, and they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Verse 12. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. And shall bring forth new fruit according to his month, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. This water shall flow from Mount Zion, and all life shall flourish from it, from its benefits. This is typical of the word that shall flow from Mount Zion. Something a little more close to home sometimes for us is the aspect of physical healing. The physical f- effects of Adamic sin shall be taken away. Turn to Isaiah again in the 35th chapter. Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. It's Isaiah 35, the whole chapter. Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God, with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and a way... It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. One more verse on this in Revelation, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 4. These are the things, brothers and sisters, that we have to look forward to in the kingdom age. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. 
night John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. God has promised us this inheritance that we've just read about. By living our lives according to the bounds he has set and understanding and promoting the doctrinal landmarks he has set, we have a vision of things to come. Brethren, this evening I exhort you as the Apostle Paul does to the Corinthians in the 15th chapter. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.